As we continue to go through Luke's gospel, we have mentioned time and time again how the stories being told in the gospels are certainly true to history. So, in other words, they most certainly did occur as reported. That would be our confession. We receive indeed truly that this is the Word of God, that all contained herein is here by inspiration of the Spirit of God. It is without error, and it cannot error. However, this is not the only reason that these stories appear within the Gospels, so as to chronicle history. In fact, the proof of history or the proof that these events actually occurred in space and time is not, from a historical standpoint, the primary reason why they appear in the Gospels. And this is important for our reading and listening to the Gospels, that we grasp it's not simply chronicling history actual events in space and time, although it is. You remember in chapter 1, verse 4, Luke gives the reason for why he is compiling his account. He's putting together an orderly account so that you may have certainty as to the things that you were instructed in or that you have come to embrace. So, yes, indeed, he is chronicling very astutely, sharply, and scholarly, putting together a gospel account that then he can provide the people of God. So, yes, His concern is historical and the reliability of such. However, that is not his only or even his primary reason for recording such stories. Whether it was the last few weeks looking at the episode between Jesus and Peter or Jesus and the crowds in the fishing boat or here with the leprous individual and the man who is paralyzed, the Gospels are telling us these stories in order to teach us about God. Yes, it's important that they historically occurred, and that does overlap some about learning about how God entered in time and space in the person of Jesus. But we must continue to learn the significance of each element of the stories, all that is contained. Indeed, they are written to teach us about the gospel announcement, the good news that Jesus has overcome death and hell. The gospel stories, each individual, their infirmities, their challenges, their fears, their worries, their strengths, their weaknesses, teach us about ourselves, our human condition, our inabilities, our needs, and about God's mercy in Christ to meet those needs, to provide His strength in place of our weakness to aid and strengthen, overcome, graciously intervene upon our condition and meet all of our needs. You see, Luke, here in this story this morning and in each and every pass, wants you and I to know what happened that day in the first century, in that community, in Galilee. He wants you to know what happened, but even more than that, He wants you to know why it happened. In other words, what it means, the significance of His healing power. 
of his ability to gather fish in the net. What does, it, what does that mean? This is the concern of the gospel. This is why we must listen so carefully as we read and hear Luke as he writes. There are two different but deeply related episodes <clears throat> here in Luke 5, 12 through 26. And I say they are different, but they're kind of like different little pieces. Or maybe we could say it something like this. There are two parts here. So you have a part from 12 to 16, and you have a part from 17 down to 26. Two parts that come together in order to make one significant sum. That's how I'd like to handle them. I know you're blown away as I look out at you. We're going to actually make it. Thank you, Adam Cronbush, for that immediate audience feedback. We are going to make it all the way from 12 through 26. I better not pledge it with promise. I'll do my best. But the reason for that is because they're really meant to be handled together if the preacher could do so. They're meant to go together. They're two pieces of one pod, I think is the illustration. Pieces of a pod. They go together to make one sum. And if I could give you my conclusion then right up front, what is the sum total of the matter? What, what are these two parts coming together to form? In other words, what when Luke says, I wrote this so that you may know why these things occurred. The question is, what does it then mean? And it is this, Jesus can cleanse and forgive sins. That's what this means. That's the sum total of the two episodes working in tandem. Episode A, episode B. And I hope to point out the similarities and the overlaps to show how they're working in tandem to this one truth that stands out in them. Jesus can cleanse and forgive sins. Let me show you how this is at work in the episodes, each and every contribution that come together to give us that sum total by looking at the first episode. Join with me in the text in the first episode of The Man Who Is Leprous in order to come back again, which each of us, I trust, have embraced. If you have not, I hope to argue in such a way to convince you to embrace the truth that Jesus can cleanse and forgive your sins. He shows us this in the first episode, beginning in verse 12, of which was read for you, but let me, if I can, join back into verse 12, looking together. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. There are many things taking place, even right here, in just 12a, what we designate 12a. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. The episode begins, and this is important. Again, both episodes will work this way. They'll open up, hopefully I can show you that in the second episode, how they both function this way. They open up with a person of infirmity. This is significant, again, as we put ourselves into this condition to hear the proclamation at the end of the episode, he can heal you. He can forgive you of your sin. Well, you don't know how bad it is. You don't know my true condition. You don't know my infirmities. Yes, he does. You don't know my regrets. 
he does. He knows your infirmities. Here, the episode opens in order to get to the place where we see the proclamation of when Jesus himself says, this is for you, in order that you may know this, we see a person of infirmity. The significance of his illness is this. You see there that it is a statement of leprosy. Now, if we were to look at the use of leprosy throughout the Old and New Testaments, we see as leprosy is kind of a broad term that references various types, a wide variety of skin diseases. So, um, again, if you were to look at the uh, Old Testament backdrop and the cleanliness laws, you'll see leprosy being treated in Leviticus 13 and 14. There you can see there's a kind of a, a wide variety of skin disease that then can be labeled leprous or perhaps not. And there's various evidences to go along with, is this individual leprous or not? And so, again, it's not a single flesh-eating episode, but it is, so, uh, it is a wide variety of skin diseases. So what this individual actually has here, is it truly leprous in this sense or leprous in this sense? Either way, this man has a significant illness that is leprous. What that means, even within the broad variety or categories of skin illness and skin disease, is that it was highly contagious and most of its forms were incurable. But again, as you go back to Leviticus 13 and 14, you'll see there are measures whereby one is cured or measures whereby one is made pure um, and able to rejoin society. But most are incurable forms, the, the worst forms, but all were considered, no matter the situation, this individual equal the plight of a person who is designated as leprous. The plight is grave. It's not a kind of sort of situation to be labeled leprous. It was deeply significant. It was grave, so much that the first century rabbinic literature reveals that the rabbis together, the thought of the community, and this is significant, again, because as you see later in the text, he was to go and show himself to a priest following the law. So he has to come back through kind of a a gate into the community, through the priests. First century rabbinic literature reveals that the attitude of the rabbis toward an individual such as this with his infirmity of leprosy, he was thought that his cure was thought to be as difficult, quote, as raising someone from the dead, end quote. This is the context of a man with infirmity. Enter in your own plight Enter in your own life apart from Christ. A person of great and deep infirmity. Indeed, the cure to be thought as difficult indeed as raising from the dead. Yet it is here, in this place of infirmity, where faith arises. Where faith acts upon its true object. And faith comes to trust and rely upon a Savior. It is in the place of infirmity where we see this individual moved to Christ. 
Notice how with his act of faith from this leprous and, and, and grave situation in society and personally where we see now an act of faith arise. Notice verse 12. I note for you once again, while he was in one of the cities, and that's Christ our Lord, there came. Now, this is a significant piece. He came into what? This individual. Where was Christ? We're reading this attentively. He was in one of the cities. That means he was within the walls or bounds of the city. And within that context, there came to him a man full of leprosy. Consider just for a moment the significance of what I am hope to point out to you, and that is the cultural and historical backdrop to this man and his actions. According, once again, draw your attention to the action of this man who is bound with infirmity. According to Leviticus 13 and 14, a person who was suspected of having such a leprous condition was absolutely isolated from the community. He was by law removed from society and utterly sequestered. Again, it gets back to why. Well, as a wide variety of skin diseases, they were all considered highly contagious, indeed even incurable. The plight of a person with such leprous condition was grave. Why? They were isolated from the community and they were by law to remain utterly sequestered. Now, notice, again, drop down in the passage, and you see a little bit of this when Jesus tells the man after the episode of healing, what he tells him in verse 14, in keeping with Leviticus 13 and 14, informing him of the law. He charged him to tell no one, but do what? In keeping with the law, go and show yourself to the priest. That is how you're going to get back into the community. That's how you can be considered clean again. Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof of them. In other words, as Jesus is instructing here to this individual who came to him well within the bounds of the city, only upon examination by the priest and offering of the proper lawful sacrifice for his condition, could he then re-enter society? However, notice what this man has done. In the condition of outcast, in the condition of infirmity, he breaks the law, enters into the city, Because he believes in the ability of Jesus to heal him. Do you see, it's in this place of infirmity where this man's faith arises. While he was in one of the cities, in the city, you can't be here, you're removed, you're isolated, you are quarantined from society. This man came to the city. A man full of leprosy because he believed the ability of Jesus to heal him. Here, I would put forth to you as we see in this episode, this is a portrait of faith. 
we describe faith, if we were to say, what is faith, the thing faith? How do we understand it? What is the biblical teaching on what faith is that we can clearly describe it, define it, and understand ourselves in light of faith? Does my faith rest upon Jesus? Does my faith truly receive Him and all of His benefits as the only sole and true object of salvation? How do we define it? We would describe it this way or define faith with these components. Faith involves knowledge. I'm pressing that this man coming into the city indeed is an act of faith because he believes in the ability of Jesus to help him and faith further described as knowledge. Knowledge of what? What did this man know? in order that he would come into the city where he might find the Lord, believing you can help me. What was the knowledge that so moved him? Well, it quite very well could be that in chapter 4, we have already seen that our Lord was healing many who were being brought to him. Verse 40 of chapter 4 Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases, they brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. Again, by the time we get to chapter 5, at the end of his preaching in 4, we see that there is a crowd who is pressing in on him to hear the word of God. There are large crowds gathering who want to see him, hear the good news preached by him, and if stuck with infirmity, lay hold of him and so be healed. So is our man here as he acts in faith, believing in the ability of Jesus to heal him. His knowledge is that Jesus can heal. With this knowledge, we say the second component of true and biblical faith is assent. That is simply not knowing that something occurred or knowing potentially that someone might be able to do something, but a knowledge that moves the heart to assent. I believe in that. I believe in this one, Jesus of Nazareth. I don't simply know of him, but I believe in him, which is the activity of our man the leprous individual who is to remain quarantined and outside who then enters in because he is assenting. And our third component of biblical and saving faith, what is it that we see this man do here is a portrait of faith finally. Faith doesn't simply know something to be true, even just to assent. I do believe that to be true. Faith finally and fully comes to trust in that knowledge in that which is correct. Faith rests upon and receives all of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man, deep in illness and infirmity, isolated and outcast, moves by faith to gaze upon Christ Resting solely upon Him, trusting only in Him. How do we see such an action? 
further portrayed in the text. Notice the language of what he does. He enters the city in 12b. We're kind of looking at the second portion now where he enters in, where he is not meant to be. Faith knows, assents, and trusts. And he, in 12b, when he saw Jesus, he fell down on his face and he begged him. You see, this is the language of one who knows they need cleansing. This is the same posture we saw of Peter in the boat. When a sinner comes in contact with Christ Jesus the Lord, repentance of sin, humility of posture, a faith that comes to rest in and receive all of the Holy Lord. This is this man with infirmity. This is his action of faith. And as he begs for cleansing, entering into the city where he is not meant to be, throwing himself at the mercy of Christ, believing that he can heal him. So as he begs for cleansing, we see not just the portrait of faith, but the portrait of love. There is a picture painted for us very clearly of the love of God to those with infirmity, to those with weakness, to those who are in grave need, to those who know they are in grave need. What is the posture of our Lord? Is it an indifference? How does He look upon His creation? And those created in his image. Here Luke provides us with a picture of how he looks upon those created in his image. And it is a picture of love. Look in the text as we see the exchange here in chapter 5 verse 12 again. He fell on his face and he begged him, Lord If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Now, notice the exchange of the portrait of the love of God to those with infirmity, to those with sin, to those who are repentant, to those who come in need. Notice the exchange. Essentially in the text, the leprous man who approaches our Lord says this. If you want to heal me, Lord. You notice that's the same language. Remember how Peter spoke in the, in the boat at first when he thought he was receiving essentially fishing advice. He referred to our Lord as Master when the disclosure of all the Lord's outpouring blessing was made clear, you remember, he responded, depart from me, O Lord. Here is a similar situation with our man of infirmity. He says there clearly, Lord, acknowledging Christ, if you want to heal me, you can. 
And Jesus' response to this individual of infirmity, of humility, of repentance, of coming unto him as the sole object of his faith, our Lord's response is this. And I want to. Be healed of your disease. If you want to heal me, if you want to forgive me, you can. This is faith. This is repentance. This is laying hold of Christ alone as a sole object of one's faith. And the response of our Lord is indeed loving. I want to be healed of your disease. Mark, if we were to look over in the Synoptic Gospels in the same episode that's recorded in Mark as it is here in Luke, Mark records this in chapter 1, and he he puts within his account, in our Lord's response, quote, he was moved with pity, end quote, from Mark importing and reading into as we see our Lord's activity is not simply an action of sovereign power, though it is that. He is the Lord. He is able. But it is also in that sovereign power a sovereign grace. An empathetic love, a care for those in His image. He was moved with pity Mark says, and so our Lord says to this individual of infirmity, I want to heal you, so be healed. You see, it isn't simply that God, in the person of Jesus, can heal your infirmity. Whether now we, we take the analogy of physical illustration as it speaks to spiritual truth or we stick with its physical realm, both are true. We do know of others that we pray for regularly who are cancerous. We do know of others who have other infirmities and injuries within the physical sphere that we pray for regularly. And we do learn here, indeed, our Lord is sovereign. He who mediates between us and God, who intercedes on our behalf as we pray, does hear, does intercede, and can effectually save, deliver, and heal. So, but it isn't simply that He can heal you. But it's important as we pray, it's important this hour if we are to repent and believe that we grasp the true portrait that not only can He heal you, but He lovingly wants to heal you. He lovingly, with great pity, desires to strengthen, desires to receive, not cast out, desires to hear, desires to heal. If you want to heal me, you can, said the leprous man. And our Lord in response said, and I want to. Be healed of your disease. Notice how we see the loving desire to heal then demonstrated, not simply even by speech, which you have to ask yourself in this episode, why does he reach out and touch the individual? 
Again, if we're carefully reading, we have to ask the question. Because he could have simply spoken forth. You're healed of your disease. Why the particular aspect of touching? It just builds on the beautiful picture of our Lord's love and pity. His care to console and to heal. The warmth of his touch to demonstrate his desire to care for and mend. Because notice in verse 13, that is exactly what takes place. Saying, so, so you see in 13, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And says, I will, or I want to be clean. Remember this as you're reading this text, this, this, this significant piece of his reaching out and touching this man. If we join back into where this man was not spent to be, supposed to be here in the first place, and we join back in Leviticus 13 and 14, we see the situation of the cleanliness laws and the function that a citizen should have at this point. We, something stands out to us. If someone touched a leprous person, a person who was at that time under investigation or had been deemed leprous, if someone touched this individual, they became himself or herself, contaminated or designated unclean. Even to touch the person with a crowd gathering would have rendered Jesus unclean or contaminated. What are we to make of this? I'm sure multiple things as we would wrestle with this and see the beauty of the portrait that is being displayed here. But if I could zero in on one standout glorious truth being communicated to us in the episode of our Lord, not giving simply a speech act whereby His sovereign power healed this individual, but further, condescendingly, lovingly, with great empathy, touches the individual who is designated by all other around as utterly unclean. A powerful truth of the gospel prevails to us. And that is this. Jesus doesn't become unclean by coming into contact with us. But rather, we become clean by coming into contact with him. This is significant. As we will see, it leads into an episode next week with him eating and drinking with the wrong individuals to build upon the theme that he's already establishing, that he loves those created in his image, that he lovingly condescends to join within their context because it isn't that he becomes unclean by coming into contact with us. If so, there would be no hope. But rather, the glorious truth of the gospel is that we become clean by coming in contact with him. And this is the demonstration with the man leprous. Calvin writes, quote, There is such purity in Christ. He absorbs all uncleanness and pollution. He does not contaminate himself by touching the leper, nor does he transgress the law. He remains 
utterly whole. He clears away our dirt. And He pours upon us His holiness. This is the loving, condescending, empathetic pity that our Lord does show those who flee to Him for safe harbor, those who recognize their infirmities, those who lay down the sense of overcoming them on their own, those who with total abandon flee to Jesus, kneeling at His feet and saying, Lord, you can forgive my sin if you want to. You are able. You have both fulfilled the law on my behalf and you have sacrificed and suffered its curses on my behalf. You are able. And he says, I want to be healed, be cleansed of your sin. Notice how this same truth contained in episode one, just briefly for a moment now, is also shared. So as maybe we think of the two parts coming to make one sum total, climaxing in our Lord's statement of verse 24 is for the effect of maybe our slowness of heart or our inability to quickly pick up on what He is putting down. He builds upon it and yet a second episode for our benefit And it climaxes in the final conclusion of verse 24. Look just briefly at the second episode. It opens the same way of the very first. Verse 17, on one occasion of those days, he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Again, our man who was leprous, he has heard of the growing reputation of our Lord. There are many who are gathering now. And Luke notes for us, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal the work of the Spirit of God upon Christ. Verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. So again, the text opens up, and behold, this is, so there's many there. There's, there's people who are watching with all different attitudes in their minds. You have the Pharisees who are judging it one way. You have the teachers and the Sadducees, everyone who is gathered there with different attitudes, different views, different angles of exposure. But we know upon our Lord was the power to heal. And behold, here's a distinct group of men who stand out to us in episode number two. There were some men. We don't know who these ones were, but they serve a significant purpose in the text. Some men were bringing on a bed a man, now it zeroes in on this individual, in these men, a man who is paralyzed. In other words, the episode opens in the exact same way. Number one, there was a person of infirmity. You see, this is us. Those who come with infirmity. The second is an act of faith. Those are the men. Do you see? These are some men who are bringing on a bed a man who is paralyzed. 
How is this an act of faith? They're bringing this man who is paralyzed. He himself was coming, desirous. Some men were bringing him, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Same thing. Those with infirmity acting in faith. And then we see the love of God in response. Let me just continue reading if I could. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, right? And our our man who was leprous was outside the city. And he came. And these men here with the crowd, they went up on the roof. And they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. How do we know all of this is, again, an act of faith, of knowing he can heal us. We believe it, and our hearts come to rest upon it, upon Him. Well, we see described as Luke records for us, verse 20, and when He saw their faith, He said, man, individual, your sins are forgiven you. Note very carefully how this physical healing, same with the physical illustration with the fish, these physical illustrations, this physical power is actually addressing theological and spiritual truth. Indeed, is he truly healing? Yes. Did it really take place? Yes. Why? to instruct and to teach both that He is sovereign and He is sovereignly gracious. Jesus makes plain the why of the episode. Why are we learning of this man? Why are we learning of these men who then lowered this one man? Why the episodes? What are we supposed to know that our hearts might come to rest in Him? Well, Jesus makes plain, if I could continue reading. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, Again, maybe he was removed, maybe not hearing. There is much um, um, ruckus taking place, of course, in this healing episode. So, So they're speaking and Jesus is perceiving. He answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know you, you can see Luke writing now. This is, this is it, guys. This is it. This is why. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's why. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise. Pick up your bed. And go home. As with the leprous man, indeed, the illness or the infirmity left him. And you see the power on display from our Lord. 
its communicative effect for each of us this morning to be received is this. There is no infirmity, disease, or disability that Jesus cannot heal. Which when rightly grasped, as our Lord makes plain, means that there is no sin in this sin-cursed world that He cannot forgive. What is it that you feel perhaps you have done, you persist in, you regret, that Jesus cannot forgive? The confession of the text is, if you want to, from the repentant, if you want to. And he says, I want to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text.